Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and welcome to the Soul Stories Podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we host conversations for healing and change. America is in the midst of a cultural reckoning, and in this season, I speak with leaders and creatives who provide a well-needed dose of inspiration. Our guests spend their time following their passion, uplifting others, and making a positive impact in what sometimes feels like a bleak reality. This season is about hope and the belief that change is possible. Enjoy! Olufemi Nasi is an author, poet, and host of the Inbetweeners podcast. Kamga Chasa is a poet, writer, and multi-format content creator. In this special three-way conversation, Femi and Kamga share the nuances, complexities, and challenges that come with immigrating to America. It's one of those conversations that will both open your eyes and expand your perspective. Honestly, I had a blast recording this with these two, and I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. Here is our episode. How are you guys doing today? I am all right. It's uh, 2020, and I think being alive is like the best place to be right now. So, so far, so good. I feel like I'm winning in a way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. Same. Same. Um, I'm living the dream, you know. I don't know whose dream it is, but (laughs) it's real. It's real. Um, Will you both introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Olufemi Nasi, but I go by um, Femi. I'm from the Republic of Benin, which is a small country right next to Nigeria in West Africa. I am a writer, an author. I do spoken word poetry. I have a podcast, and I think that's it. I guess people will learn more as I talk. I, th- I think I always have a hard time answering that question because I, I feel like Femi is the same. Like, what, what do I say? Who am I? But my perspective on that has been changing a lot with the content I've been consuming. And so my name is Kamga. It's the easiest name I have. I have four names. I was born in Cameroon. That's an English and French speaking country. We speak both English and French, not just French, just for the record. And also besides Nigeria, it's just close to Nigeria as well. That's what we use. We always use Nigeria as a reference. I and know. What I do, yeah. I, I do a lot of things that all involve storytelling. So for example, I edit the Soul Stories podcast, which you're listening to. I write on Medium. I do videos on YouTube, photography. I'll actually be shooting a wedding this Saturday. So I do a lot of things and the thread is really just storytelling. And I guess I'm figuring out what I really want to do and I may not. But ultimately, so far in 2020, I've had some moments where I've looked at the next, you know, decade, five, 10 years down the road. And I'm like, this is not where I should be if I want to be ahead of where I think I should be with the skills that I have. So it's been an interesting period of reflection of thinking about the world and my role in it and how to get across to to where I want to be. Well, it's definitely a good time to reflect. There is a lot happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. I am Curious. Actually, I've known you both for a minute now. Kamga maybe a little bit longer than Femi, but how did you two meet? Hmm. Instagram. I think Instagram. Yeah. I started on Medium, though. I knew you. You didn't know me. I was following you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was following um, you and Bifun. Yes. And then I think 
Oh yeah, no, it was on Twitter that someone said, "Oh, you know, Kamga, um, Kamga is in Denver, something, something. You should meet with Milan, Flika, something oh. like that." And then uh-huh. later, I saw you posted something about where were you? Somewhere. Think, yeah, it was in Aurora, I think. Aurora, Somewhere. and I was like, yeah. "Yo, hi, I'm Femi." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I actually pull up our messages, I might find those messages from the beginning. If I pull them I know, here. it must be there. It's like, yeah, I'm not a stalker, but I probably stalked you and found that you were here. So, hey, just wanted to say hi. Yeah. But yeah, that's how it happened. That is how it happened. And then the first time we actually met, there was an event. I think, I don't know if you invited me to this event or yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah. a poetry event that um, Toluanimi, was it Toluanimi who was organizing it? Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, my wife hated that event, by the way. Just side note. She was like, <laughs> what are these people? Me. Why are they so <laughs> naked? <laughs> but we went there and then I had not been to Denver, like the city. It was just, you know, Aurora is a little bit different from like downtown Denver. So it was my mm-hmm. first time too. And I was like, I'm meeting somebody. And that was how we met. And it was mm-hmm. awkward a little bit. And after a while, like, wait, this is like a writer friend. And then that, that was it. That was for like yeah. friends from a long time ago. and. It was awkward for like three seconds. And after that, that yeah, just the first three seconds, and then it was good. Yep. And ever since we've been talking, we've, have we even collaborated? I I mean, I've taken some pictures of you for an event. I worked on. Yeah, yeah, for my um, poetry. Some of your logo for if talking. But we've not yet done some real collaborative work. So let's look look forward to that. But that's how we met, Danny. That's that's how we. That's the long version. And Kamga, I know a little bit about your backstory. And also, if you're listening right now, Kamga does have a previous episode that you can check out to get his full story. Did you, had you both recently moved here when you met? Or how long have you, how long have you been in America? Yes, I had just moved almost a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, I think. Oh, wow. What about you, Femi? Um, I have been here, I think the, either the 17th or the 19th, I can't remember, it will be five years since I've been here. Okay. So it's been a while. You have been here for just two years. Uh, June, actually June 2020 will make it mm, June 2020, we, we just passed that. Yeah, we're past Oh, yeah. So it's two years. Yeah. <laughs> I, st- I work from home. I stay home all day. I just, I forgot. I have no notion of time. It's <laughs> actually still March, Kamga. Like, oh my God, if we were still in March, I'd be, I couldn't. Nope. Uh, Hell no. <laughs> um, what brought you over, Femi? My stepdad lives here and I came to kind of just continue my studies. That was mainly the goal. After I had my high school diploma, I stayed in Benin for another year while waiting for the process to be over. Then I came here and started school and then somewhere throughout that journey, I ended up starting writing. It was mainly for school. And how old were you? I was 19. 19. Yes. Yes. I celebrated my 19th birthday here because it's in December. I'm like December baby. So. Oh, nice. What was it like for you just to come to the United States? What was your experience? (laughs) Let's just say that experience was so strong that it led me to writing a book about the experience. So <laughs> You can hear about that in the book. <laughs> you can hear about it in the book. Supports artists. But honestly, 
the first year was like for everyone else, like the hardest because it takes time to just adjust to the new realities. There were a lot of culture shocks. There was a great amount of loneliness and my first encounter with depression. So it was really, honestly, it's weird. It's like I'm thinking about it and it just feels blank. It feels like it was such a long time ago, but it was definitely hard. I remember that my first um, birthday here, um, my dad was at work. Um, It was, it's December 23rd and I had spent the whole day at home alone. And that night he asked me, oh, well, you know, there's this event from my work. Do you want to go? At first I didn't want to, I didn't care about it. But I was like, you know, I spent the whole day at home. Let's just go there. So I went there. And that was the first time I realized that I was black because I was literally the one black person and there were probably 50 plus people around me. My stepdad is white. So it was really, oh wow, yeah. And there was this lady who just came and she sat in front of me and she started staring at me just like that. And it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> it was it was weird because I didn't know why she was staring at me. And in my head, it was like, okay, is it because I'm the only black person here? Is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm this? Is it because I'm that? So I really felt uncomfortable to the point where I had tears coming up. I had to tell my dad, hey, can you take me home? And I made up some weird excuse because I didn't want to have a conversation about Race. whatever was going on. Right. Yeah. And I got home and I just like I cried the whole night and I was like, Oh my god, here people are just gonna see me as a black person. It's crazy, all of that thing. So after that, like it was really, you know, dark moments because I was alone. I'm an extrovert, but the school system vibe here is very different from back home. Like typically back home within the first day of school, I already know everybody. I'm very talkative. I go chat with everybody, but here people were just in their own bubbles, on their phone, all of that. So it was really hard to get to know people. And so loneliness came, depression was the deal. And eventually, you know, you just push it through and you just take it one day at a time. You know, I remember the nights where I just looked at my wall and I was like, oh, you look so good. I could just run and knock my head right there, just fall asleep for the next decade. I didn't do that. It was just in my head. I did not. I have self-control. But, um, yeah, it was, it was hard, challenging. And, but all of that really led me to learning more about myself, about my culture, and just about life in general. So... When I look, I think about it, I'm still very grateful because he brought me to where I am. And if it wasn't for those experiences, I wouldn't have written the book. And that book is a great part of who I am today. And it was the foundation of all of the things I'm doing now. Well, I want to dig more into that and kind of how you overcame. And thanks for sharing that experience. That sounds really intense. Kamgit, can you relate to Femi's story in any way? I don't know if I really can because in a way I can see from her perspective how things were hard. But then when I picture it, you know, being here mostly by yourself, your step parent not really understanding where you're coming from, an extrovert in a world that it's not exactly 
open to embracing who you are in that point. Like it reminds me a lot of Queenie and how difficult it it was for her in Cameroon to who's Queenie? My <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I was listening. Queenie, my wife. And uh, yeah, I think I, I I thought the whole all the all the listeners were like my friends and private you know group. <laughs> but, <laughs> she also yeah. has an episode on the podcast. Yes, Anyways, she does. sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no problem. So. Yeah, I can I can see how that is from her perspective, and it's not that I cannot relate to it. I'm I'm actually actively trying not to say I can relate because the more I think about experiences, individual journeys, whether it comes to race or relationships or even business building, I realize that yeah, you can see some aspects in the story that are you know similar to yours, but ultimately every person's story is very different and. Knowing Femi and, you know, reading her book and watching the story, I can see how hard it is and how equally hard it can be for me without being the same thing. Because I moved here to meet my wife, Queenie. We're engaged. And I came with a different kind of baggage. So it wasn't, I had thought of going to school, but then I changed my mind. And I had no idea what America required in terms of like work and insurance and bills and taxes and just driving. So I didn't even know how to drive if I moved to this country. So the issues I faced in the span of two years, getting married, dealing with being married, moving to a different town, starting school and stopping school, getting a job, uh, dealing with immigration papers, and all those things were so compressed that I feel like the past two years have been almost 10 years. So like, yeah, like I, me, I think, yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I'm thinking of it like such a long time ago. It's not, I'm actually, you know, I've written a lot about these things and I feel like I... I've lost even my writing ability. I mean, I said I was a creative and writer person, but very recently I realized that I can't even write anymore about these things because they're just fuzzy and the thoughts are weird. And I can't think clearly because I'm dealing with other issues that just have nothing to do with immigration. I'm dealing with my relationship. I'm dealing with my health. I'm dealing with uh, trying to build a business, trying to make money. So it's a bunch of things that are compressed in this short period of time where no matter what you do, you can't just sit and wait. Like, I mean, I just finished my job and we're doing this episode and tomorrow I have to wake up early and continue. You have two days off. So it's a, America is such a system that for, I think for most people who move here when they're older, it's a little bit harder to adjust than when you're a kid and they, you know, you accommodate and get the accent and just move into the system. But it's been hard. It's been quite hard. And I can see how that could be the same for Femi. And this is open to either of you, but what are, I guess both of you, what are the major differences um because you brought up you brought up the pace comga and femi you brought up people being on their phones in a classroom and i can 100 percent picture that scene what like what were those differences like for you and what were you used to previously so with the pace for example let's i'll take two things i'll say driving and then work those those two two aspects in Cameroon, you don't need to have a car because cabs take you everywhere. You can pay literally less than, I guess, less than a dollar for a round trip to, to the market or to anywhere you want to go to. So there's no Uber, there's no Lyft, there's just cabs everywhere. Yeah, of course, it's choked up and three people sit when there's supposed to be two and all that, but you literally don't need to have a car in Cameroon. You can live your life fully without ever owning a car. It's mostly for convenience and for those whose jobs actually require them to be at certain places at certain times. So that's the first part about the U.S., which is if you don't have a car in this country, you're 
fucked basically you don't have a life (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you need to get to work you need to get to anywhere you can't even just walk to places because they're far away second thing is for work in cameroon people complain about unemployment and even my parents for example did not want me to work while going to school but here in the u.s it's actually normal for you to get a job before you even go to college it's normal for you to get your first job around i don't know 13 14 doing something it's like the aspect of working the hourly pay and the weekend is so built into the system that coming from a place in Cameroon where I had my first or say first real job for a few years before I moved here and it was it wasn't that bad. It wasn't a thing I had to be at a particular place at a particular time. There were long hours and I sometimes felt exploited. But it wasn't the pressure of taxes, the pressure of if you don't have a job, you don't have insurance. Like th- th- those aspects of that are tied to working in the US were completely absent in Cameroon. Like if you don't have a job, well you can always just go back home and hang out with your parents. But here, without a job, you're teetering towards death. Yeah, we're super job centric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, regarding what I was saying, I think the main thing is that here, like the society is very individualistic compared to our communities that are more like community centered, you know, family oriented. And so, here it's more about, you know, the self it's more about your own accomplishments your own life your own this your own that and so coming from a place where people are used to actually coming together not saying that that had like that's perfect or that it doesn't have its own negative side but coming from that place where just like what Kemga said if you don't have your job you can just hang out with your parents for a little while like you know that you have kind of this support system to rely on in case something happened but here it's like you're on your own even when you have family because everybody just pushes you to be be independent be be your own person be this be that and regarding the phone thing for example another aspect that was very interesting to me is that i will have um, the same classes with some people we'll talk we'll do group works all of that but then when we meet in the hallway I typically smile and say hi, but they would do this weird, like two second smile, this weird facial thing that's like, I'm just like, God, I'm gonna bite you. <laughs> I hate that. I so whenever they do that, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Okay, y'all don't say hi in this place. Okay, I got you. Right. The other one is in the cafeteria, there's like so many tables. And you only see one person sitting there. And the crazy thing is that you don't even feel welcome to go sit there because you feel like you're getting into that person's space. You're it's just so weird. It is so, so weird. So there's definitely that. Like, I must say that here, I definitely became more of an introvert than when I was back home. And I mean, it did me. I learned a lot from that and I grew from that. And, but it's definitely something that is very different because you just like even just calling your friend and say, Hey, I'm outside. It's like, okay, hi, are you ready? Are you free? Like Sunday at 10 AM. It's like, everything is so scheduled and it's so structured that it's hard to just sometimes be spontaneous because there's always this like little things that you cannot control that are determining your life, your pace, whatever. So yeah. It's funny that you talk about the way you, you were received in school because my experience with college here was different, even though I dropped out because of 
college is not for people like me. I actually have some cool friends now. One of them is Jared Young and Taylor. And we've actually gone hiking. And the way we became friends was really hot. in class. We were attending like, we had like two classes together. And they would just, you know, we'll sit by each other and just talk, have small talk and just have this chat. But I end up being friends with them because when I, Taylor saw this sticker from No Small Creator, and I was like, oh yeah, you know No Small Creator? I was like, yeah, I met Cody. Like if those, this, anybody who knows, is a, it's a movement basically that essentially says there's no such thing as a small creator everybody whatever people create is awesome so it, it was about the thing of you have if you don't have a million subscribers on youtube then you're nothing or you're small so mm-hmm. the whole point is there's no such thing as a small creator and so yeah we, we hung out on that and then found that he does videos photography and then that's been it so i'm still the introvert and funny enough i think both of them are introvert no taylor is definitely an introvert jared not so much but for me those relationships have lived out of college and we hang out now, we work together, we talk, we send each other memes. So in a weird way, I feel like I've actually had more friends like Danny, for example, we met at the poetry event and then uh, we said we should have coffee and then we talk and then before we realize we work on social stories. So in that particular aspect of, you know, people, I think for me, I, I don't know if it's a thing that I have or what, but I've been able to actually build stronger relationships with individuals, maybe not groups. I don't like <laughs> large groups, but individual oh, okay. relationships have worked for me. Great. Yeah. Oh yeah. To come back to that, like not saying like it is possible to build those relationships because even me, my first friend here and longest friend with whom I'm still in touch now, we met in school and it was my first semester here, but in like a general speaking um, way of speaking, it's mm-hmm. harder to just go to people because sometimes you're not sure whether or not you're allowed to come there or sometimes it's just, it's, it can just be the facial expression. You know, if you have someone who's smiling at you, you Oh, okay. I can come. But if you have this person who's so into their phone, like concentrated, you're like, okay, <laughs> get away. So like there's those people and you know, it's funny. I actually, the friendships I made here, a lot of time it's easier with like Africans or with people who come from another country because we can easily relate to the experiences and be like, oh yeah, are you from, oh yeah, I'm from here too. Oh, how was this? And <laughs> that's it. Then next thing you know, we're out there to this weird party or something like that. So it's possible to do those. I just feel like it's a little bit harder just to like approach people. But mm-hmm. funnily enough, when you do approach them, they're chill. They're friendly. It's just like, come on, show something that will make me want to come to you. I don't need to like think 10 minutes before coming to you because you're having this, I don't know, you have this moment. Really, yeah. <laughs> having a moment. And the moment sometimes lasts like an hour. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to For do. For the whole semester. So I, I love this so much, Femi, because I am like a shining Is that ex- you? example of what you're talking about. Shame on you. <laughs> I See, am, that's why he laughed when I said that one second smile thing. Shame on you. Man. I am like, I have the most neutral white guy face and <laughs> it's so hard to you read to start me for using that. <laughs> Oh my God. Smile more, Danny. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> It's like, I are mean, you sure you're having a good time? Yeah. I'm like, it's, I'm doing great. <laughs> it got even worse for me when we moved to Pueblo because I guess there's like five black people in Pueblo. So I think sometimes, and you know, people sometimes say they forget that they are black. I think I've had some of those seconds where I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not one of. 
you know, it's different. I'm different, basically. It's easy to forget that you just merge, like you go to Walmart, it's like everywhere is like, you know, you, you see enough white people that you forget. Oh, <laughs> and then there's that weird thing. Not weird. It's um, actually amazing when you meet another black person and you just do the nod. It's like, yeah. I feel your struggle. I feel you. <laughs> Gone. You yeah, got that's this. It. <laughs> and then you that's just move it. on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like you have to learn and you know, talk about being black and it's probably the current racial climate. There is so much I feel that people who move here, maybe as adults, especially African to move here as adults, don't understand about racism in America. And then they are like, in my, my theory is that there are, two, there are two schools of such Africans, of people, immigrants. There's one school that doesn't want to hear anything about it, doesn't care. It's like, that's an American thing. I'm here to just do my thing. And then there's another school, which I'm hoping that more people can join, is people actually can say, I don't really know what's going on here. I need to educate myself. Because I think a lot of people don't really get what's happening. And unfortunately, just because I'm black, just so happens that anybody who is promoting the racist system just puts me in the blanket of everybody else. So it's, it's sort of, I have to educate myself so I don't get caught even without wanting to be caught. Mm-hmm. And that's something that moving to Pueblo and just dealing with life here, I've had to realize, well, I'm actually very ignorant about race and I need to educate myself. And yeah, I don't know about you, Femi. Does, is that something that you always knew or did you have like an awakening at some point or you just, you know, were born knowing this mm-hmm. thing? I was aware of some stuff, even from Benin. Like I never pictured this place as, you know, the perfect thing that many people believe back home is like, the Eldorado, I knew there were going to be some struggles, but it's really when I got here that I realized the extent to which it actually gets to you and it actually affects your life. And, you know, just a simple example that many people don't even think is a big deal, like the fact that you're the only Black person in the classroom, like literally you feel the pressure of representing the whole black community because if you do good everybody's like oh oh no that's just her but if you do bad it's like yeah see this black, black people. people they don't do anything so <laughs> and you feel that like as just being yeah. over here for a few yeah. years yeah you just you just sit there and you're like wait a second and you know just some some comments some some things oh you're beautiful for a black person oh my god how did you get here so it's like you realize that oh yeah you realize that deep down like the reality of africans even in the countries themselves is different from that of black americans but when you come here people see you as black before anything else so of course you still have your african side but you're still going to live through the same experiences that black americans are going through so if you just like close your eyes to it eventually you're just hurting yourself because the system is not hurting others. It's still hurting you, even if you're not aware of it. So it is very important to take the time and actually educate ourselves on those things because it's part of our life and there's nothing like whether or not you, you decide to ignore it or not, it is true. So it's just best to learn of ways to address it and to maybe even change a few people around us that are doing things that they're not even aware of. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of education. I'm curious if you've also experienced for the first time you having to say you're African versus like the specific country you're from. Um, 
oh my god you know <laughs> at some point you just pull out the african's court <laughs> but a lot of time i think uh typically when people ask me where i'm from i'll say i'm from the republic of benin in west africa and they're like oh oh i'm like do you know where that is <laughs> no I, okay you see nigeria it's right next to nigeria so I guess I have to thank God that Nigeria exists or else nobody will ever know where Benin is. But most of the time, I do make sure to say it because I'm tired of people asking me if I know about, if I know this guy who's from South Africa. It's like, I <laughs> don't even actually know my happen? neighbor. Oh, uh, man. Don't even get me started. Like the things yeah. people ask you, like there's this guy. That's he's amazing. He's from Ghana. Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> or the best one yet is okay they'll ask you where are you from i answer and they're like oh yeah my sister-in-law actually worked in a mission thing back in kenya in South Africa. <laughs> I'm like, okay like, yeah. for her amazing how is that related to what i'm saying you don't go and tell like someone from friends that you're your brother-in-law went to Germany to do this thing. It's like, come on, guys. At like, some point, you right. gotta start. Yeah, <laughs> like you gotta think it through. Don't just say stuff just to like build up the conversation. You can just be like, oh, okay, good to know. Something. Simple, right. You can listen. You know? Ask a question. Exactly. Oh, but that thing also, I must say, at some point, it gets tiring because I used to work at World Market and. In about like six, seven hours, I would get over six plus people asking me, where are you originally from? And I'm just like, come on, not again. To the point where even my boss came and asked me, so how many times are you asked this question, family? And I'm like, you just write a manual and just give them. Just <laughs> I swear. Print. They're like, people tell me, some of my coworkers are like, you know what? On your name tab, just ask. Femi Nasi from the Republic of Benin next to <laughs> yeah. Nigeria. For more information, $5. You know, just something. <laughs> Jesus, at some point, you don't even think about it anymore. It just comes out because you're so used to being asked that question. You know? And that's exhausting so, for you. It is. I think it would be exhausting for everybody. It just got me thinking about when I moved and I was calling myself husband, immigrant, storyteller. <laughs> and I boxed myself into this place where I, I started hating my own writing because I was writing about the same things over and over and over and over. I just, I, I just mm -hmm. couldn't. It's exhausting mm -hmm. to, to having to explain yourself and talk about, oh, this is how America is. This is how immigration is. This is what it is. And you get burnt out. Just talk about these same ideas. But then I'll get tired and then I'll realize I still have a lot to write about because it still doesn't make sense that people will think about it. And it's not just Americans. It's also people back in Cameroon who think about America or have this perspective about money and work. And people say, oh, you're in America now. You have internet access. You have all these tools. What are you yeah. complaining about? And mm -hmm. then you, you find yourself having to explain to Americans where you're coming from and you have to explain to those in Cameroon where you are at. So it's just... You're, you're not just constantly explaining. Constantly. Explain. Like, even when everything was going on with um, the murder of George Floyd, like, I saw many, like, a friend of mine or an old classmate texted me and said, hey, Femi, so is it real? What's going on right now in the U.S.? Like, or is it just the media that's showing everything? I was like, child, sit down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I sent her so many voice notes saying, look, what you're seeing, that's just 
today. The tip of the iceberg. That's right. just like, that's like the routine we're living in. We just happen like, to take it serious this time. Exactly. This time was just a little time because everybody was bored because of Corona. We needed something <laughs> to keep us busy. So we're all like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but give it a few moments. Like while we're talking about that, someone else will chill, someone else will this. Like it is uh-huh. a reality that people are constantly living through. And it's been years. It's been hundreds of years. And so, yes, it is real. And so what the media typically shows you about the U.S., that is what you should question. This thing, this is the real thing. This is what's going on. And like, in a way, I'm happy that more people are seeing things the way they are but on the other side I'm just like come on like people are tired like how many times do you have to have this conversation like literally there was a day during that time when I was sitting outside and I asked my brother you know take your bike and go go do something you've been watching tv for so long and he went out then I saw a police car and I was like don't get up don't get up don't get up I didn't want to become paranoid But I was a little bit paranoid. So I got up and I was like, where's that boy? And a few seconds later, he came back. And I was like, why did you come back? He's like, oh, hmm." also, there was a cop car there. I was like, okay. The boy also sees it. Like, he's 12. He came here last year. And it's it's exhausting. Yeah. It is exhausting. But I guess you just got to keep talking about it because if you don't do like first of all if we don't who will and i don't know there's only yeah. so much we can do so you still have a life to live after all it's like with everything that's happening even with the whole country we still have like in my own house we still have health issues that we need to deal with mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with racism yeah life goes so on like life still goes on no matter what mm-hmm. happens so mm-hmm. it's it's funny it's like the whole because i'm i I guess I used to, I don't know how to say I used to be or I still am. I'm a, a huge self-improvement junkie. I read a lot of self-improvement. I write a lot of self-improvement. So it's like a lot of what is going on and the trials and tribulations of moving, of adapting, of changing, of being, becoming more self-aware. A lot of what's happening in 2020, I feel for me, people like me who've been reading a lot of this content allows us to sort of prepare for it. And there's a fine line, you know, with the work that Danny does with Soul Stories, the fine line between accepting your emotions and also just, you know, not paying attention to what you shouldn't be paying attention to and just looking at what, what can I do today? What step can I take forward? Because there's a fine line between, oh, let's just reject. Nothing's happening. Everything is great. We're going to be fine. And then accepting like, okay, this sucks, but I can't keep crying all day. I just, let me cry for like a few hours. Because sometimes I've had to just sit down and just give up. Like yesterday night, I was so tired and I had this fever. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to edit anything today. I'm going to bed. And that was like a win for me. And as an immigrant, I feel like very few people have the chance to even have those conversations because you leave these people in Cameroon, you leave these people in Benin, in home, and then you move here. And their expectations, like there's this layer of expectations of my, my elder brother is in the US. I mean, even when they don't say it, like you don't have to actually voice it out. This just is just feel it. Just feel like I am in a better position to help out. So you're you're carrying the the, the hopes and dreams of the whole family, which it's uh it's it can be exhausting. I call it the it's soft pain fair. of immigration. <laughs> like that's true. Yeah. yeah. True. I'm actually totally. writing a, a whole book on it because it's it can get to a point where you don't realize how burnt out you are because you're just pushing through. Yeah, and everybody thinking you're living your best life just because you 
took an Instagram video with like Starbucks or something. I was like, bro, I worked 20 hours to get that freaking Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to enjoy Starbucks it. Starbucks <laughs> costs like a quarter of my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on. It's the little wins. It's the thing that are keeping me alive. And that's just say They forget. Like, I think one of the greatest thing is that like, the currency difference like because mm. here you have one dollar over there in Benin that's like 500 Same you thing, can do like you can do you can do you get use France CFA in Benin yeah yeah oh so yeah, dollar, currency, yeah. Basically. all yeah. colonizers colonizer currency in, 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 yep. in, in French Afri- Francophone Africa basically uh-huh yeah. but but honestly like with like what one thousand dollars in Benin you can get a piece of land you know there's like all of those things so people think in terms of that they don't think in terms of everything like here we have the technology tech technological <laughs> hey you know the language is, is hard man <laughs> i'm forgetting them all <laughs> we have the um technological whatever the word is oh, you, it. <laughs> you got it and um yeah, yeah. And like all of that, so people see those and that's what typically like development is seen as, you know, you have Wi-Fi, you have this, you have that, you have those um, materials you can rely on, but they don't see the societal aspect of things. They don't see the stress you have to deal with. They don't see the mental illnesses. They don't see the pressure, the dark times, the questioning, the comparison, all of the things that come with the developed countries like they don't see all of that because everything that is put in light is just the materials that you have, the resources, the car that you buy, the clothes that you have. So it's it's interesting to see how much of a difference there is with like, I don't know, it's just that whole thing. It's amazing, you know. Sometimes I just sit and I'm like, hmm, this world. Yeah, it's crazy. It sounds like there's like all these assumptions being put on both you from America and then there's assumptions being put on you from back home. Yeah. Does it feel like it's hard to be seen like for who you actually like see yourself as? Yeah. Yeah. That's a actually a very interesting question because a lot of the reason why my writing is suffering is really because I'm not able to think clearly because you always have these thoughts of like, all right, need to go to do my job because if I don't do my job, my family doesn't have money. So you're always looking at the needs and what is required of you more than what you actually want. And to mm-hmm. see myself requires me to actually think for myself and think about what I want. And it's, it's like, there's this whole process of undoing where when I moved, I was like, me, 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 me. I want this. I want that. I want to try Xbox. I want to use the internet, Netflix. Yay. Then at a certain point you realize, wow, there's responsibilities here. I, I'm no longer just me. I have people to take care of. I have responsibilities. I have a role to play. And slowly but surely, I can catch myself now in that place where if I'm not careful about the goals I'm setting, the actions I'm taking, I'm doing everything for everyone else except myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. I feel that. So for me, it was kind of like going from one extreme to the other because for the first, let's say, four years that I've been here, I was more focused on you know, building myself, I was more like kind of self-centered because nothing else was going on in my life. And I had to build myself up, you know, do my, figure out my dream school, all of that. And so I, I kind of buried myself like 
in work. So I became this like workaholic to the point where my mom actually picked it up. And that's to tell you how bad it was. Like if your mom is telling you you're working too hard, then you're working mm-hmm. way too hard. <laughs> so um, I like at some point, because I started seeing myself only as, you know, writer, poet, this and that, the times when I didn't have any desire to write or to speak, I felt like I was a fraud and there was nothing else to me than that, you know? So it was hard to see myself beyond just those labels I had become used to using for myself. And then like this last year, since my brother has been here, I kind of had a different thing going on because now it wasn't just about me. I had to put my brother in the edition as well. It was about raising him, you know, think about his school, race, sexuality, all of those things that typically a 23-year-old doesn't have to deal with. Mm. I had to deal with those. So like this last year has been more of an adjustment for me to kind of find the balance between myself, my dreams, and then the responsibility that I have like at home and in regards to my brother. Hi, everyone. I want to pause this conversation to tell you a little bit about Soul Stories and how you can support. Our mission is to host conversations that facilitate personal healing, human connection, and social change. We host a wide variety of online and in-person events, as well as this podcast. Check them out and engage with them at soulstoriesdenver.com or on Facebook and Instagram. This organization is completely volunteer-led, and we are working day in and day out to bring people together, fight loneliness, and work towards healing ourselves and society. If you believe in this work, please consider signing up for Patreon or sending a donation to our Soul Stories Venmo account. Both are linked in the description. Thank you for listening, and now back to the episode. For me, it's, I feel like at the end of the day, it's more about myself, you know, just getting rid of the boxes I put myself in and just going with the flow and like doing things because I want to do them, but not losing myself within them and just realizing that it is okay to just change and to lose interest in some things. And it is okay to just grow and to go with the flow. So Right now, it's more about myself, like getting comfortable with that idea of just letting go and going with the flow. So, yeah. I'm curious because you both talk about mental health a lot in your work, in your art. And did that get ignited when you moved over here or were you already thinking about mental health in your home countries? I think I was already thinking about it, but then I guess in my own way, I was a little bit honestly lucky. I, the environment in which I was, and I say environment, I mean, essentially my wife, Queenie, was one where she was already doing medicine for a while. So she was already exposed to a lot of that. She'd been in the U.S. for what, almost 12, 13 years by the time. So we talked about it. And even before I moved here, was already suggestions of, oh, I'll see a therapist eventually because everybody needs to see a therapist at some point. And so when it didn't really accentuate much except when I realized how important it was to actually talk about feelings and talk about things that we don't usually talk about 
comparing especially with the African home and the way things are dealt with, like the way children are punished, the way children are encouraged, the way they are supported, even without a degree in psychology, without even a deeper understanding of what that is, you're like, yeah, this is not healthy. This is not the way people should be brought up in the world. And a lot of that changed for me. And the reason I write about it a lot more is because I had to think. And when you're in the US, you're usually mostly by yourself. So if you cannot think and be alone with your own thoughts, it gets really hard to just exist. And I guess I had enough time to think about it and to, I had, you know, the, the skill to write about it. And that's something that allowed me to explore because for me, writing is that process of thinking through things. So when my thoughts are not clear, my writing is not clear. And being able to talk about these things and, you know, just oppose the stories and share them out and eventually even discover what I'm actually talking about. Because sometimes some of the stories that I write, I don't know what they are until they're finished. Like I can be talking about a plane crash and then by the time I'm, I'm done, I'm thinking about existential crisis of like, well, what if I die today? Will I feel like I've lived my life? It's sort of like a regular, you know, travel, enjoying immigrant life, but then it ends up questioning my existence, basically. So for me, it, it grew, but not where I feel like it would have been the same if I was in Cameroon. It just so happens that mm. here I got exposed to more of it. Mm. So for me? me, it's coming here that made me see it. Because back home, like I came here when I was, I left Benin when I was 18 and all of that. And the only thing I was used to back then was just, you know, like feelings of loneliness. Loneliness was like my best friend back then. But the thing is that over there, it was more of a, it was imposed on me. It wasn't a choice. And so like that hurt. And I guess there were times What was imposed on you? The loneliness, like it wasn't a choice. It wasn't that I wanted to be alone. It's just that, um, you know, things going on. I have like friends, but they have their own life, their own things. So I was alone a lot of times where I felt lonely. That was a feeling I was used to, but I never really thought about. Are you saying this was imposed on you here or in Benin? Oh, no, in Benin, in Benin. So right now I'm still still talking about Benin. Okay, what do you mean by it being imposed on you? Um, so like when I think typically, um, when I think of the whole being alone thing, when it's a choice, it's different because you want it, you want to be by yourself. You want to have that time for yourself. But when on the other side, you just really don't have a choice because your friends are there or you don't have friends or all of that. It feels like it's forced upon you. So I'm talking more about that. And so for me, it was like, it was mostly the second one where I was, I felt lonely because I didn't have people around me. Like I was surrounded, but just those deep moments of sharing that you have with people, a lot of times I felt like I was lacking them. And a lot of time I felt like I was just by myself and nobody was there, even though people were there, you know, it's, it's weird sometimes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Yeah. I guess at that time, I have experienced some, you know, depression, stress, all of that. But what really got to me and what I really acknowledged was the loneliness. But then when I came here, the loneliness was still there. But what I then experienced the most was the depression. And that was the time where I realized, oh, this is a thing. So I wasn't familiar with the idea of depression back then because we just it's not talked about, you know, if you're going through something, it's typically sadness or whatever. And, you know, go pray, talk to your family, talk to your friend, but it's not like, oh, you're going through, 
like depression or anxiety or whatever. And so when I got here, that's when I really had those really, really like dark moments where I didn't want to get out. I didn't want to do anything. I felt like this was the end, all of those things. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? And I started doing more research about it. But funnily, it's really through my writing that I discovered it. You know, when I came here in the beginning, I saw it as, you know, this dark self of mine. Because people typically see me as, you know, an extrovert who's always smiling, who's always happy and all of that. But it felt like once I came back home and I was alone, it was the complete opposite. It was very dark. It was very... Like like, a shadow self. (laughs) Yeah, my shadow self. And I used to like talk about her, you know, like she was like my demon. She was this, that. And that was me actually going through the process of, acknowledging it but not knowing that it was something that was normal I thought that it was just about me and I thought that I literally something was wrong with me and so my first writings were really dark to the point where people would ask me like why do you only talk about dark stuff and I was just like you know I don't know it just comes and I write about it I don't think I don't question the feelings and so it's later that I started researching it and learning more about it and seeing how it affects people and how it can be differently um, experienced by people. And so it was really here that I, like, it got more intense and it definitely got accentuated because I guess back there, like, the fact that I also have, like, family and friends to kind of, like, run away from the feelings, I never had to really question what was going on. I just felt it. But here it's like, okay, you are alone. And I ended up accepting the alone moments, the point where now I actually want to be alone. You know, I spend a lot of time by myself, which helps me reflect on the emotion that I feel, the feeling, the experiences and all of that. So like, I just say that here, being here definitely made me face like the mental part of my being compared to back home where it was just the physical and it was just like everything that is that can be seen compared to the things that can only be felt and you know mentally experienced so yeah that's yeah that's so interesting both you kind of touch on it and i kind of asked that as a leading question kind of like to talk shit about america to (laughs) be like we are such an isolated culture but after you said that i'm like oh that's interesting that's like (laughs) There's like, there's like, there's two sides to that. There's two sides. Yeah. Because no matter how this culture, I mean, it is true that I feel like this culture definitely like enhances that feeling and creates more of it because of everything, the responsibility, the stress, the pressure, all of that. A lack of community. Yes. You know, the just like you having to be alone and dealing with your things alone. You know what's funny? Though, sorry for interrupting you for me. It's like the whole mm-hmm. idea of community and solidarity that a lot of Africans, and I'm using the term loosely here, talk about, you know, Africa and the way it's there. And, you know, with videos like Black is King and Black Panther. Oh, and, yeah, that and the thing, idea that, you know, that's not good that, 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 that life in Africa is a utopia for all Black people. It's getting me to think a lot about what people don't really understand about even back in Cameroon, before I moved here, just take Cameroon alone. There's a lot of segregation within the country between the French-speaking and the English-speaking parts of the country. That's a whole other book by itself. 
But people fail to see that I think each community gets the community deserves. In America, I still think there's community. I see people who are building, like, take for example, in Denver, there's like people who are poets, writers who come together because of these mutual, you know, needs and, and wants. It, in, on, in the continent, the dark side of the community of the continent, most people don't actually talk about, which might bring me heat now, is because there are people who, for example, if you have a lot of money, people listen to you in, in, in Cameroon. If you're the richest member of the family, you get respect, basically, because people want to be subservient, knowing that you give them money eventually. And there's, there, there are dark aspects of that community life, which is when you try to go against the grain and do your thing, you get rejected, become the black sheep. If you're a child who doesn't want to become a medical doctor, I know he works in America, it's almost the same thing, but you could get the kind of wrath that is also backed by the society. It's like, there are mm. no jobs for people who don't do this kind of thing. Like, why do you want to do that? So a lot of what people mm. see and be like, oh, Cameroon is better in terms of community than the US or this is like, you don't really know what you're talking about because there are many, there are too many layers at play for you to just say things are better here or there. I, I used to say this a lot in my writing when I moved is American Cameroon or American Benin there's no better or worse. It's like, it's just different, different problems, different communities, different issues. You can compare them, but never think that if you take one aspect from one and put in the other one, it will suddenly be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. And like, I, I actually agree because even for me, when I talk about community, community it's only <laughs> to a certain extent because I feel like when you take America, and I hate how we say America to say the United States. Like, I hate that, but it's like everybody says this. We just say it's like the United States. When you take the U.S. and then when you take Africa, I guess, I feel like we often see the two extremes of the same thing. Like here is the individuality that comes out the most, you know, the be you, your own thing, blah, 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 all of that. And back there, it's the group, it's the people, it's us coming together. La familia. La familia, all of that. But the thing is that those two still have their own negative sides. Like they talk about community, but there's the pressure that comes with it. There is, you know, the black sheep thing, because the moment you start doing things for yourself, trying to be more individualistic, it's like, it's not what we do here. Here, you listen to your peers. But over here, when you want to have more, it's like, you know, you need to be your own person because that's how you show that you can do this. You're independent. And to come back to that whole thing about Black is King, like, I watched that. I was like, funny. Like, it's artistically, it's beautiful. It's all of that. But I feel like, unfortunately, we're getting to this point where people start, like, thinking of Africa as the... Ooh, you know, over there, black is king, black is this, black is that. And I'm just, sometimes I just want to say, you know, even our ancestors, like, because we talk a lot about ancestors and all of that, not everyone was a king. Not everyone was a queen. Because if that was the case, nobody will be king or queen. Like, it simply is not possible. It's a very logical like, response, yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but the thing is that many, many people, and I see it especially here in you know, the Black community, because we want something to like empower us, we end up having this idea of Africa as the perfect place when even back then and up to now, things are not perfect. So it's always about like 
finding a certain balance and being careful not to start idealizing like a certain place because you don't see its dark side until you're living there. And sometimes even when you live there, you don't even see it because it's not affecting you because you have whatever privilege. So American privilege. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, oh, I'm just, talking about it's, you, oh, actually, I thought you were saying like if an American were to go to Africa, they would mm-hmm. have an American privilege. Oh, no, just have oh. a white privilege. Not, I, because once you once you're called the skin of the, the color of your skin is white, you don't care the American, French, mm-hmm. whatever, unless you're educated. And I when I say I, I still use this term loosely because people think I'm saying Africans are not educated. No, it's like people don't understand, for example, that. If you're from France, your culture, your history, and the way you relate to, for example, a country like Cameroon, which had French colonizers, uh, there's a certain dynamic that is different. But people don't never think about it. Just a white person, money. So yeah, when you say American privilege, I think that's what you're saying. Like you see a person and you just assume this person has money, they're better off. And usually what we try to do, when I say we like Africans, we try to swindle you from your money and tell you to buy things 10x the price, basically. <laughs> but yeah, just talking about this, I'm thinking I should start a whole podcast where say Africa is not what you think. That's that's the podcast title. Yeah, but um, careful, you might want to wait a little bit on that <laughs> unless you want unless you want to die now. Because right. hey, it's like it's yeah, you're about good. to get canceled, Kamga. Uh, hey, I, I don't have an audience, so yeah. Uh, that's good. So when you do get the audience, you're gonna be double canceled. Like, I wanted to recruit you, family. Let's talk about these things. <laughs> Hey, I'm a careful. You know, such thing because it's so such sensitive topic. It's like you can only say it to a certain extent. Like because I feel like if a platform is created where only that is talked about, people will lose like lose sight of what the purpose is. They will right. only think of it as oh, okay, anti Africa, anti this. They won't see it as oh, you know. This is great, but think about this. Don't just be like, oh, okay, so this is what you're saying. I don't saying. care. I want haters. Haters uh, need <laughs> Look, that's you haters say that. Haters fuel you, Kamga. <laughs> that's what that's what you say for your shield. We all know. <laughs> yeah. We all want validation. That's why we're all creating content. Hey, nobody likes likes my posts anymore on Facebook anyway. I might as well do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I mean, look, Facebook is a different uh, Facebook, I just see Facebook. I'm like, I just go there to to lose time. You have time to lose? Okay. Yes, well. I make time to lose. Look, we're all busy, but you can don't do eh, 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 eh. Let's <laughs> <laughs> She's saying get off say. the high horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that. But seriously, like sometimes you just wanna, you know, just one oh, yeah. five minute of break because like the moment I I don't wanna be this workaholic the one I was like last year. It's like, it's something I like to be, to work and I like to be productive, but I know that it can also become addictive where you just like, okay, what's the next, what's the next, what's the next? Right. And then you end no up living because you're just going. So right now I allow myself to just, to just be, even if like for a whole day, I don't do anything. I'm like, mm, whatever. I can't, I, I, I can't, I, I just can't, especially with social media, because if that's where you lose it, I have an issue with that because of social media. If you say, you know what, I don't want to hang out and do nothing, I'm like, mazel tov. Nothing is better than social media, personally. I would rather sit for five minutes and do nothing than to take that dopamine hit that Mark Zuckerberg is making us consume without even realizing it. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I want to bring you guys back. I, 
was there a time like before you had moved from your countries where you felt like you wanted to express a part of yourself and you weren't able to, or you were, there was pushback for me. No, I'm actually doing a series of YouTube videos on how I quit college three times. And there's the whole story about moving to different, doing different degree programs, biochemistry, medical laboratory science, uh, journalism. And I started writing online in 2012. And really, I would say in most African communities or African countries, particularly Cameroon, as a writer, the people that you're mostly afraid of are your parents and what they would say that, hey, you shouldn't talk about these things. But I guess I was lucky that my, my dad, my mom were pretty, pretty much open to the idea of exploration of creativity because they didn't push me to write. They didn't actually give me books to read. They were just like, oh, that's something that you, okay, cool. So it was a thing that they, they allowed. So I never felt like I had to, if anything, I felt encouraged to continue. And sometimes, sometimes I actually feel that if I stayed in Cameroon, my writing would have taken me further than it is right now because when I moved to the U.S. now, I found myself almost boxed in writing about immigration and then losing touch of the context of the life in Cameroon. So it's been a very difficult two years trying to find my voice again because I no longer have things to write about that relate to the people that I'm writing to. And so, yeah, just, just to answer the question, no, I never really felt like I could not express myself. I actually feel now that I don't know what I'm supposed to say because I don't know who I'm talking to. What would you, uh, before you jump in, Femi, what, Cameroon, what would you have written about if you were still in Cameroon, do you think? I'd probably be writing about the political climate, uh, the, the entrepreneurial climate, the technological climate, because there are many young Cameroonians who are in the tech space and the entertainment space and doing a lot of things that CNN would never cover. Right. <laughs> uh, no, no major media house would ever do. And there are people, even in the literary landscape, like I started a couple of poetry events. I was doing a lot of those by myself, getting people uh, together and organizing these things. So these are things that I was able to do because the, the land was sort of empty. People weren't doing it. There weren't many people who were qualified to do it. And people were interested. And I, I think if I was back there, what I'd be doing is a lot of that kind of work of really ex- writing about the things that mattered to people where I was living and talking about ideas that I thought could move the country forward. But now, if I do that, I'm sitting on a high horse, essentially, and telling people what to do. So there's a, there's, I think in this question, what I'm seeing is sometimes you, you, people think you only gain from moving to a new country like the U.S., but you might, you might lose more than you even realize that you've lost. And that's something that I've had to, I'm still coming to terms with. It's not, I don't even know if I'm done yet. Realizing that what I'm writing, very few people actually care about because it's not, it, it's no longer related directly to something that I cared about. Hmm. Yeah. I feel you. I think for me, the answer is no as well, because I feel like before I came here, I didn't have that need to really say anything specific. Like for me, writing the book, I never dreamt of being a writer or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't a dream of mine or even a hope of mine. It just, it was just the means to an end. Because when I came here and my first year was like, was the way it was. Let's just say that. Like I realized that so many people back home like had this false idea of what it was to come here and to continue your studies or to just come here and live here because they think it's all perfect. It's all this, it's all that. So for me, the book was really 
about showing a more realistic image of what it is to come here. And also to show that, and that's the reason why we have two stories, to show that every adventure, every journey is unique to the person who's going through it. Like what I'm going through is not the same that you're going to go through, but there will be similarities. And it's those things that can allow me to tell you that, hey, you're not alone. You know, if we were able to do this, then you can do it as well. So I think it wasn't really because I didn't have that need to talk about anything to um, communicate or anything. It wasn't, I didn't feel like I couldn't express myself. And when I came here, I had like, I saw things, I analyzed things and I was like, you know what? I want to talk about those things. And today I feel like I'm getting to the point where like, I'm just ending that cycle of where I was and the things I was talking about because I feel like I've already said what I had to say about those things. And then now it's time to start a new cycle to learn new things in order to give back. Like I remember in the beginning, even just with poetry, and it's crazy I'm saying that because I started, what, two years ago? <laughs> I would sit down back then and literally would just take me a few minutes to have this crazy thing and to build upon it, to put out a video. Now, I start, I'm like, oh, I already talked about this. I don't want to talk just for the sake of talking. I don't want to create just so I can keep having followers. I want to create content that is of quality. And I feel like in order to do that, I need to experience some things or learn some things or just see new things in order to give back. So right now, that's where I am. Like I'm kind of taking the step back to make sure that I am fully finishing this cycle I am in in order to move to the next step and bring things that are really valuable to people. That's why I feel like right now um, I'm working on my poetry book, finally. And nice. so that will be like the end of the cycle for me. That will be like the whole 2015 <laughs> to 2020 Femi. And it's like, okay, this is it. This is me here. That's done. And then the next step is the one I'm starting with season two of the podcast. But even with that, I feel like there's something that's missing, but I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm just, when I feel the need to say something, I will say, but I will not push myself to express things that really everybody else is saying or that just won't bring any valuable thing except from like adding another content on my Instagram or something like that. What's next for both of you? Like you both kind of expressed this transition feeling or phase that you're kind of going through and what you want to create and how you want to give back. And I'm curious what you guys see for your futures. Hmm. It's clear that I can't work for anyone. It's, it, was, it used to be a doubt. Something that I used to have doubts, like maybe I should just find a job that I like or something. But the more I read, the more I reflect and write down my plans and think about what I want to do, it just gets very clear to me that the biggest mistake I can make in my life is to ignore the fact that I want to be able to be not self-employed, but have businesses that allow me to do whatever the hell I want. So for me, what I'm building now is a foundation with the skills that will allow me to become more valuable and make money like upfront. I want to make more money because in this country and in the world, the more money you have stashed somewhere, the more you can do whatever you want. Because right now I do have a job. I work from home and I'm grateful that in 2020 with COVID, I still have a job, but I could get fired tomorrow and there's nothing I'll do about it. 
I could fall sick and I can't work and they wouldn't pay me for being sick. So there are just so many aspects that are driving my, my mission now that have almost nothing to do with the US, my wife, anybody. It's more like I need to be in a place where I can do certain things. And for me to do that, the next five, 10 years require me to wake up early, to write, to make videos, to learn skills. So I'm in that place where I'm really just acquiring and trying things. So where Femi, for example, is saying, oh, she doesn't want to put content. I'm like, I need to put more content because I don't know where I'm going to. Like, I need to actually put out a lot more to find out what I really want to do. So it's, that's the mind frame mm-hmm. I'm at now is trying different things, putting out more content and building that foundation. What's your, what's your vision? Uh, like concretely, what would you like for your life? What would you be creating? Would you have a business? Would it be YouTube? It would be... Uh, all of the things like the reason why I cannot be concrete is like, I really let me I really want to be able to wake up in the morning and do whatever I want I know it sounds like a utopic stupid dream but it's one of That's those my like, dream too yeah. <laughs> yeah I want to be able to wake up and say oh I would like to make a movie about this hero in Cameroon and I can afford to do it I can find like okay who can be a good actor I might not be able to do it myself but I can produce it I want to get to the point where I can say um there's there's no book on this subject I would like to write the book and I write it so I'm moving towards that kind of business. So media business, YouTube, I'm working on YouTube. My channel, I got, what, 850 subscribers today, which is great. And right now I'm working towards getting that 1,000 subscribers and getting the 4,000 hours of watch time. And then on Medium, I have almost, what, 5,000 plus. Instagram is killing me. It's not working out. Facebook is not working out for some reason. I don't know. But I, money is for me is the best measure. It's not followers. It's not likes. It's really how much money can I make with my skills. And right now I'm getting some web design skills to be able to get hired to build sites. So if I can write and I can build sites and I can edit podcasts and I can do all these things, then I'm really laying down my chances to, to get to that point where I can make money from those skills. Well, you have so many you're fucking skills, man. You're so capable. I mean, even with this podcast, what you create is so beautiful. Um, so I just wanted to shout you out a little bit for that. Thanks, man. The last skill I need and what I'm building on is business because business is a skill. You can be talented all you want, <laughs> creative, but if you don't know how to sell or market or buy or do all the things, yeah, it's a waste of time. Okay. So I think for me, as of right now, it's, it's about finding balance in all aspects of my life. So um, I was talking earlier about the fact that a cycle just ended and for me like I felt that because many things had changed in my life like you know at home just with my brother and my stepdad and the way things work like I got to a better place where it's like okay you guys need to deal with this so I can deal with that I got to a better place like I got myself a new car like I got a new job and like I don't it was just I cut my hair so it's hard to say it now because like there's many things going on but a few weeks ago it was really like I got to I ended with the past things and now I'm studying a new one because I have new foundation and I'm starting over so how that specifically work is like in terms of, you know, work-life balance, for example, the reason why I really like my job is that it's completely remote, regardless of COVID. So this, for me, is the greatest thing I could ask for because it means that I can literally be anywhere in the world and still do my job. 
And I mean, it's not the perfect, it's not the end of it because I could get paid more and I got to get the skills. And so I'm going to school for that. So professionally speaking, right now, it's just about working. You know, it's just about going to school, getting that degree so I can leverage more. It's about getting that experience so I can also leverage more. So in terms of that professional aspect of my life, things are good. In terms of my personal project, I feel like it's where it's supposed to be. Like, I'm just really going with the flow. I'm going to work on the podcast. And mainly it's going to be that. Like, once the book is over, I'm going to start working on learning more so I can give more. And in terms of just my personal life, I think right now, when I see myself in the future, it's really about finding the balance between every aspect of my life, you know, work, being able to work and also to work on my own personal things. For me, that's what I want. Like I'm getting, I think now I am realizing how much that balance matters to me. Like I don't want to, I want to, I don't mind working for someone, but only if I also have the time to do my own things. And so having one to rely on and the other to feed my soul makes me like, I feel fulfilled. And so when I think about those projects specifically, when I think about it in the future, like I think the goal is just to tell stories and to just, it's just, yeah, it's just about telling stories and having an impact and helping people process and acknowledge their own journey. So for me, it's really about getting to that point where I can see that, oh, okay, this story that I helped put out, help this person or that other person and is just contributing to people's lives. So as of now, that's where I am. I feel like uh, a Pharisee. What's that? I feel like a Pharisee. In the Bible, there are people who just gathered all the riches and did not want to share with anybody. <laughs> They're just listening to you talk. I'm like, damn. I'm such an evil money monger. <laughs> yeah, but if you listen to the last episode I had you on, it was all about making an impact. So go it's, ahead and listen to that last episode to make yeah. sure you don't have the wrong ideas about Kamga. The thing, the thing about impact I realize is it's value. And if or what I'm talking about, you know, the idea of money, if I'm not mm-hmm. actually doing just something that is valuable. Just say stuff to your conscious. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. I give up. <laughs> He wants the money. Give him the money. But he'll give you good content, though. So it's fair game, you know? It's fair game. I hear you, though, Kamga, because I am in a field of, like, working and with soul stories where I feel like the whole thing is about making an impact. So then whenever I talk about it, I don't talk about the impact. I'm just like, I just want to get paid to do this. Like, <laughs> so then it feels like all I'm talking about is making money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to come back to you, Femi, uh, I listened to your episode of the Inbetweeners podcast with uh, Najat. Mm. Um, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was Thank so you. good, dude. You have a really cool thing going on. Really? Oh my god! Oh yeah, my god. I loved it because mm-hmm. I've worked with Najat for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. and I learned so much about her, and it was just like wow, like this person I've been next to for so long, I knew nothing about. You know, isn't it crazy? The stories we all have to yeah. tell. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, shout out your book a little bit too. Tell us the name. Tell us where to find it. Oh, yeah. The name might be hard for people. So the name is Jisoke, which is J-I space S-O-K-E-E. Jisoke, The Awakening. It's basically kind of like a memoir that I wrote with a friend who's in Canada. And the book has two purposes. The first one is to show a more realistic image of what it is to live in Western countries. And by that, I don't mean to like show negative parts, but to really show things the way they are and yeah, yeah, and balance the ideas that people have. And then the second one is to help other people who go through the same experiences by letting them know that they're not alone and other people go through it too. And so in the book, we came back on our, we talked about our first year of experience in these countries. And while we had like some similar topics such as, you know, culture shock, self-identity, and even racism, we also had things that are very specific to what we're going through. Like she talked about love life. I didn't talk about that. And funnily enough, I had people asking me why I didn't talk about my (laughs) love life because apparently it's normal for someone like a 19-year-old. And I was like, because there was nothing to say about it. (laughs) Like, do I have to talk about that? Anywho... We talked about just going through the process of living a new reality and discovering who we were as women, as black, as young, as students, all of that. You know, we talked about finding a job for the first time because that was a big thing for me since like with what Kamga said, as a student, you're not, you don't really even have the opportunity to work back home. So here, finding that balance between the work responsibilities and school and home and all of that, it was a big thing. So the book, it's really, it was really about our own journey and just us acknowledging and analyzing the things we went through and how they changed us and how they molded us into becoming who we were. And yeah. So um, where can it be found? It can be found on Amazon. Typically, you can just type my name, Feminasi, and you'd find it. It can also be found on my website, which is also Feminasi.com. But yeah, that is about it. And Kamga, is there anything you want to shout out before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, my YouTube channel. Uh, you can go on ahead and find me there. I think with everything I'm doing, I don't know if you probably cannot see this. I mean, obviously, if you're listening, you cannot see this, but there's like a board here with... <laughs> my plans for the next couple of months and my YouTube channel is at the centerpiece of nearly everything, whether it's with my podcast or medium and everything else. I'm really doubling down on visual storytelling and learning from other people to enjoy that. So that's where a lot of my energy is going. So yeah, if you could go there and subscribe to the channel, watch a video, uh, give me a hate comment. I like hate comments. It helps me grow. I was uh, going to make a joke that you love hate <laughs> comments. And I was like, no, Danny, you shouldn't make that. Let Maybe that's a himself. skill you can leverage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, I, I, I didn't know I enjoyed it, but I do a lot more now. It's not even healthy. So, but Yeah, yeah it's not healthy. It is <laughs> yeah. so not healthy. That is scary. You need to talk about it to your therapist. That is, <laughs> we'll do an intervention after this. <laughs> No one knows what it means, but it gets the people going. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you guys so much for joining. Appreciate you. So much love to you. And is there anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, I would like to just say one thing. It's a lot of what we've talked about so far has been, you know, very individual and very personal experiences. And for me, one thing that I would really like to clarify before we close is that I've been able to even deal with these things a lot better than most people because of my wife, Queenie. Like there's so many instances and so many things that I've had to go through. Even the journey. Come on, shut up. (laughs) What I'm doing right now. Queenie, we love you. Yeah, we love you, Queenie. Yeah. So a lot of that confidence comes in a, in a lot apart from her and her ability to see me, what I don't even see myself and encourage me and motivate me. And it's been a very difficult, challenging time. And I don't think I would have survived without her. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. Mm. Nice. Okay. So I guess I need to give a shout out to someone too. Yeah. So this person has been there like the whole time through thick and through thin. Thank you, Femi. I knew you were <laughs> <You're> amazing. <laughs> Pull a Snoop Dogg You're amazing. <laughs> I love you so much. Without you, oh my god, I'd be dead by now. So, yeah, but but yes, thank you, Danny, because this this was amazing. And you know, I always enjoy talking about like some experiences and things like that because it also allows me to reflect on the things I've been through and to just discover some other aspect that I wasn't even aware of. So, thank you for having me. Thanks, Kamga, for being the partner in crime. And thanks to everybody who listened. And yeah. Yeah, make sure to like and subscribe and share the Soul Stories podcast. All right. Exactly. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are absolutely one of my favorite parts of working within Soul Stories. I hope you leave feeling inspired and energized. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating and or a review wherever you get podcasts. It really helps amplify the show and most importantly, the voices of our guests. Thanks and see you next time. This is Danny signing off.